man, I'm, I apologize for the voice. This is two weeks in a row, and for whatever reason, man, it's like Kermit or something. You know what I'm saying? That's a, I won't do any Kermit voices, I promise. Not on purpose anyway. We're going to talk about Nahum today. I, I know you've been reading your personal devotions in Nahum, right? Yeah, I don't usually go there either. Except when I'm reading the Bible systematically through the, the uh, Bible in a year or something, I go through Nahum, but it's not like top book in my life. I don't even know that I've even heard a message on Nahum. And uh, that's a great thing about trying to preach through the Bible in the years of our church and trying to uh, do this exegesis in this season that we would just walk through. And I want to give you the full counsel of God's word. And a lot of times you would just skip over this. I understand the Mount of Prophets, Nahum, he's not going to be top on your list. So I doubt you're going to leave here today going, man, Nahum, man, my life verse. Because can I just tell you, Nahum is a book of wrath. Can you just write across the top of your notes, wrath? Don't you love that term? You're saying, are you going to be a good Baptist hellfire brimstone preacher today? I just might. No. But what I'm telling you is, it, it is that book. And Nahum, basically, his name means consolation, comfort. And when you read it, you're like, I think it's everything but that. But when you read it in, in the context of Scripture, it is about God loving his people. But it's a consolation, comfort. That's what Nahum means. And I just want us to, to walk through these chapters together and think about the day in which we live in 2015. And there's some parallels, as we've seen in all these little forgotten books in this series. So open your Bibles over there to Nahum. <coughs> it's on uh, page uh, 873. Does that help anybody? If you don't have my Bible, that, like, did nothing for you. I understand. Um, Nahum has a prophecy against Nineveh. There's a sequel to Nahum, and we did it a few weeks ago. And that book would be called... Thank you. Somebody knows their Bible. Jonah. Jonah would be the sequel. Jonah is basically that God <coughs> tells him that he's going to spare the city if they repent. There's this huge revival. Jonah has a uh, pity party. He didn't want to preach to Nineveh. He wants the Ninevites to burn. He can't stand them. All the atrocities and the sin of the people, they do repent. <coughs> the whole city gets saved. The whole city has revival. It's probably the greatest revival I know about. It's incredible. And then you're about 100, 150 years later, and you have this little prophet named Nahum that comes up, and Nineveh has done something. Their revival has been short-lived. They've turned back to the idols and to false worship, and then God goes, enough. Have you ever asked yourself that? Does God ever say enough? We don't say that a lot. We just talk about the grace and love and mercy of Christ, and I love that. But sometimes I think there's a time where God says, it's enough. Now, I don't know when that point is, and I'm, I'm glad I don't know because I'd be a little scary if I'm like, hey, our pastor knows. But there's a big idea, <coughs> excuse me, and I want you to look at it here with me. Um, so uh, God announces through his friend, through his prophet Nahum, that there's going to be judgment on the city of Nineveh, and it's going to come. And, and God clearly shows that, man, I love mankind. I love people. I'm crazy about you. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have judgment, and judgment's going to come uh, to the house of God. And Scripture talks about that, and he says, I'm going to punish those that are guilty of wickedness. And some people get excited. You're like, man, I don't mess up or I don't mess up much. And I like it when people get punished. And here, he's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be punished. And then he talks about the faithful remnant and those that are in God. They're going to be safe. They're going to be secure. So that's kind of the, some of the joy. But Nineveh here, uh, Jonah records that Nineveh has a reprieve. And then Nahum, Nahum just goes, hey, there's judgment. It, it's coming. Uh, there's destruction because the, the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, 
they were like so wicked. They're so hard. They like killed people. They like, remember when I told you, they like, uh, they would take people's skin off of them and, and then they would like dig holes and bury them up to their heads and they would, uh, they would take their heads or skulls and they would line them up in, at the city gates coming to the city. Everybody feared uh, the people of Nineveh. Matter of fact, there were mass suicides if you look at history because these people were so wicked, people would just rather die than deal with the Ninevites. So it's kind of an interesting, sad commentary on these people. So Nahum, so you come here, and I know you're going, well, Pastor, why don't you tell me some good news? <coughs> but I'm trying to preach to this book, and Nahum's just going, I'm a prophet of doom. And that's why Nahum's never going to be on your top list as you read Scripture. But look down there in chapter 1 with me. In the very right when he jumps in there, verse 2, he goes, The Lord is a jealous God. He's filled with vengeance and rage, and he takes revenge on all who oppose him. Now, when, when you see that, when we hear that God is jealous, in our, in our flesh we go, Now, my mama told me being jealous is not good, and that's true. But when God's jealous, it's okay. Because God is so crazy about people. And God is jealous of his people and when his people aren't faithful. Uh, let me set it up this way. If you're married, you want to be jealous of your wife or your husband, of their love for you. I mean, it's like it's for you. It's a special love that God's given the two of you. And you protect that love and the faithfulness of the other partner is very important. And, and that's the kind of love that the, uh, the love of God is. God just goes, hey, I'm, I'm jealous here. Another principle God would teach was <coughs> what, you, uh, what you sow, you reap. It's, it's an eternal principle law of the kingdom of God. You sow something, you reap it. It happens to non-Christians, it happens to Christians. So these people were so in judgment, they were so in sin, and they got to uh, reap destruction and, 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 and just, uh, it was horrible. And you think about it in your life, you know, that same kind of thing happens. And, and yet, one thing that I'm learning as I've been studying through Nahum this past week, it says that military might, it's good. But military might, it's not enough. It doesn't preclude the obligation to be righteous and holy. <clears throat> the psalmist says, righteousness exalts a, I, I think I heard it, righteousness exalts a nation. But without righteousness, the nation goes downhill. One, one senator one time said, as he studied history, he said that great nations, they usually have about a 200-year cycle, and then they kind of just spin out. And you wonder about America, where we are is a tremendous nation, is a blessed nation, but without righteousness, you wonder, is like, is, is there judgment on our land? And I know you're going, I'm, I'm not going to get into all that and like be a prophet of doom and that kind of thing. But there are some principles here in God's word that God wants our nation to do what? To return to him, to love him. And it's, it's a beautiful thought here that God says, if you return to me, if you repent, you respond, I'll step in and I'll intervene. How many of you long for God to intervene in the affairs of America like he did maybe of old, that our land would have healing? How many of you long for that? How many of you pray for that? If you don't, you should begin today. Say, so, you know what? I'm going to start praying for America. I'm going to start praying that it would become a great nation. I was listening to a guy on the news the other day. He was an Australian. And this guy had more patriotic spirit for America than any American I've heard in the last two or three years. And this guy was talking about how great our land was and how free it was and the freedoms we had and how we were messing that up. And I just got to thinking, I don't, I don't know, if you know me really, really well, you know I'm a huge patriotic person. I, I just, 
I love the American flag. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, my family celebrates July, uh, June 14th. It's called Flag Day. None of you even knew that, did you? <coughs> One year, Donna, she, I said, babe, you know what day it is? She goes, uh, June 14th? I said, it's Flag Day. She goes, huh? I said, you don't know that? It's Flag Day. In our family, we celebrate Flag Day, and we put out flags, and we give T-shirts and all that. We, we, I knew you were going, you're really weird. And then, <coughs> like, July 4th, it's another day to be flagged. I, I just am patriotic. I love our country, the neighborhood we live in. I get excited. Our neighborhood flies flags, and you ride up, and you see all these red, white, and blue. And some of you are like, well, that's real good. I'm glad you're giving your patriotic message for the weekend. But I just wondered, how much do you love America? Or how many of you would like to just get shipped up out of America and go to a faraway land in the Middle East or somewhere and live there the rest of your days? Do I have any takers? I didn't think so. See, it's a pretty good land. And is, is it messed up? Yeah, it's got some, some Nahum here <coughs> to get back to it. Look at I want you to look at the top because I put some interesting questions. Because we ask these questions, we just don't usually answer them. So let's look at them. <coughs> Excuse me. Questions from Nahum. Is God wrong to be jealous? Well, you know, I'm going to try to answer that. Absolutely not. It's not wrong for God to be jealous because he is a jealous God. And scripture teaches that over in Exodus and how his love is incredible and how he is zealous for faithfulness. So it's not wrong for God to be jealous. Does God have mood swings? I want somebody to answer that. Do you think our God in heaven has mood swings? Don't make it rhetorical. Answer that question to me. Do, God has mood swings. <coughs> I hope not. <laughs> but I, I, I think our God is stable. How many of you are like, I mean, I don't think our God takes a Xanax, okay? I don't think our God needs medicine. Our God is stable. He doesn't have mood swings. Uh, he, now, he does shift sometimes from wrath to comfort or comfort to wrath. And here on these people, he's had mercy on them. He's been good to them. And then he's like, okay, enough. You know, that's the only thing. I don't want to hear God say enough. <laughs> I mean, I want God to have mercy. When there's still time, there's time for people to come to faith in Christ. There's time for us to repent. There's time for us to get healing. It's a beautiful concept of, of, of life. Look at the next one. Why does a merciful God punish anyone? Because justice requires payment. And the thing I love is when love and mercy met at the cross, justice was satisfied by God, wasn't it? At the cross of Christ. This morning, April sang a beautiful song. Lead me to the cross. Yeah. And that's where God gets uh, justice met. That's where it gets satisfied. Here's the next one. Can we pass the point of forgiveness? Can we pass the point of forgiveness? Yes or no? I think we can. I think when we persistently refuse to turn from our sin and to obey God and become obstinate and calloused and hard-hearted, and we continue down that path, we'll miss the forgiveness of Christ. I know you're going, wow, man, this is not like the most encouraging message you've ever given. Well, you ought to have been studying this for a week. I mean, it's been like <coughs> I've studied and studied and broken out all my Bibles and all commentaries, and I just sort of like, but God, I want to give a, a true word for our congregation so they can go. Questions from Nahum. And I want you to fill in the first blank. God is, real quick, <coughs> God's jealous. He's a jealous God. All these are going to start with J. God's a jealous God. And, uh, and, and I don't, you know, God, I don't have to apologize for that. God does it. And uh, this entire book, of the book of Jonah says there's second chances. The book of Nahum, there's no more second chances. You've messed up. It's enough. I mean, it's like, um, I'm, I'm jealous. Uh, and then <coughs> I begin to ask the question, what's our faith level? 
Is our faith level really high in Christ this morning? Where Christ, I trust you. Lord, I look to you. You're the God of heaven. You're the God that's created me. You're the God that redeems me. You're the God that has a purpose for my life. God, you are amazing. God, I trust you. I run to you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I want your mercy and grace. And then this thought occurred to me as I was studying this week, and I want you to write it on your notes. I wish I'd put it in there for you, but write this down. God can either be your savior or God can be your judge. And that's the truth of the gospel of Christ. Christ can be your savior or he can be your judge. And we have a choice. We can choose to receive Christ, receive the gospel, and make him our savior and be delivered from the punishment of sin and wrath. And that's awesome news. Or we can choose to let him be our judge. And one day face the consequences of that where no man can stand up against a holy God. So that's a pretty pretty incredible thought when you think about, about what God is. Well, God is what? Jealous. And it's still, when I hear that, when I read that in Scripture and I say God's a jealous God, it just sounds like, well, my God couldn't be jealous. Well, my God could be. When I, when I read Scripture, he really is. He's, uh, <coughs> uh, you know, if, if you're like a jealous husband or a jealous wife in the healthy sense, it means that, that love is reserved for you and that love is special to you and you, you protect that love. And that's where God says, I protect the faithfulness of my kids, and, and I love them, and I'm committed to them. And, and uh, listen, right down in Exodus 25, it says this. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation to all those that hate me. So Scripture's clear that, man, God's jealous. And, and <coughs> another one's Isaiah 46, 5 through 9. You can read that whole section. And God talks about his jealousy and how God demands that we love him. And somebody might go, that didn't sound fair. He's God. You know, I hate it when we try to put God on our level. God is above all gods. God is above all. We submit to him. We look to him. And can you just want to say in your heart this morning, Lord, I bless you. I praise you. There is no other higher than you. And you set the rules. Are you glad that God sets the rules today? Are you? I mean, how would you like me setting the rules? You wouldn't like it if I set the rules. And I'm sinful. I mean, I would, I would like, you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You wrong me, forget it. I mean, it's all this Jesus thing, trying to make me forgive my enemies and praying for those that persecute me. I mean, have you ever thought about if you got to be God for five minutes, what would the world look like? D don't think about it long, okay? It's a little scary here. Then I got to wondering, does God have temper tantrums? No. He's incredible, perfect love, consistent man through the ages. Matter of fact, <coughs> I want to give you a little good news because I feel like I'm putting you in a funk here because God's jealous. I want you to turn over in your Bibles to Psalm 107. Turn over to Psalms 107 with me. Are you there? Psalms 107. Listen to this. I love this for, as the psalmist says. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. One translation says, has the Lord redeemed you? Say so. Do you know we have a say-so God? And if you're redeemed, if you're in Christ this morning, you need to say so. You need to let other people know. Man, my God's for me. My God's not against me. My God's crazy about me. My God directs me. My, my God leads me. He's, he's all about me. The Lord is good. How many of you believe this morning the Lord is good? He is so good. I mean, he's, those mercies, we woke up this morning and we get to face a new day and we get to have our sins forgiven by the blood of Christ and we have the promise of eternal life in heaven and the Bible says our God heals our diseases and he delivers us from sin 
and you could just start going through who God is and his attributes, and you just go, man, our God is awesome. <clears throat> the scripture says God is a hiding place, and we can go to God and hide and be safe and secure. Man, that, that is good news. I'm just saying, well, Lord, I'm finding some hope here. So <clears throat> look down here with me. At verse 4, he says, at his command, the oceans dry up. The rivers disappeared. Man, this is a strong God. Verse 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. In his presence, the mountains quake. The hills melt away. I don't know. When I hear that kind of imagery, and, and I look at it, and I go, the hills literally melt before the Lord. The mountains fall into the sea. I'm talking about, man, I am serving a great God. Don't you get excited about that kind of God, folks? I mean, you look like, okay, every time I go to the ocean, and I watch the power of the waves and the ocean come in, and then when it really gets rough and you go out there just a little ways and it begins to take you out and you see the, 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 just the, the strength and the power and the volume of the water. And I'm just like, this is just a little bitty section of earth at Gulf Shores, Orange Beach, and I'm experiencing this. And I'm thinking, my God's so much higher than that. I'm thinking, man, my God is great. I'm like, Lord, <laughs> I love that. So let's move on down here. Verse 7, the Lord is good comes back to Psalm 107. A strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. A promise of God. If you'll be close to him, he's close to you. I don't know where you are right now. You're like, man, I'm having a hard time. Well, man, I, I pray you'll run to God. And the Bible says that God will come near, and he's a refuge, and he's strength. And then move on to here to verse 12. This is what the Lord says. Though the Assyrians have many allies, they will be destroyed and disappear. Oh, my people, I've punished you before, but I will punish you again. And it's this whole judgment here because God's jealous, and he's trying to take care of his people, and, he, and he's already tried to tell them that. Now, there's this whole section <coughs> I could spend a lot of time on, and, and I want to... It's a guy named Sennacherib. He, he's a leader. And I want you to just write down Isaiah chapter 37, 1 through 8. Sennacherib. Uh, <coughs> some, of these, some of these words in the Old Testament, I cannot pronounce them. I'm, I'm not even going to try to fake it. Some of, them, some of them I can, some of them I can't. Some of them are like, man, nobody ever names their kids this. But I want you to listen to this because Jerusalem's deliverance is foretold here in this section. I want you to listen. <coughs> uh, Isaiah 37. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, he went to the temple of the Lord, he saw Elkim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, the leading priest, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, and they told him, this is what Hezekiah says, this day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth, there's no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words that your Lord God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. And when King Hezekiah, Hezekiah was a good king, his officials came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me, listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with a sword. And when the field commander heard the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now, Sinarab, there we go. Sinarab received a report that yeah, whatever. The king of Cush was marching out to fight against him. And when he heard it, he sent messengers of Hezekiah with this. 
Say to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given to the kings of the kings or to the hands of the kings of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered to the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors? Deliver them. And here's the whole principle. He's basically, he's so arrogant, he's so prideful. He goes, <coughs> us Assyrians, we will not be destroyed. We rule here in Nineveh. Nothing will come against us. Oh, uh, you just wait. And then he has all these gods here. We'll just skip through them, okay? All right, go down to verse 14. <coughs> Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And then he went to the temple of the Lord. He spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. I like that. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see and listen to the, all the words that Sikranab has sent to ridicule the living God. In other words, oh, you're fixing to mess up, Doug, dude. It is true, Lord, that the Syrian kings have laid waste all these peoples in their lands. And they've known their gods into the fire, or they've thrown them into the fire. And they destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone and fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from this hand so that all the kingdoms on the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Zechariah's fall. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, because you have prayed to me concerning Zechariah, king of Assyria. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter despises, mocks you. Daughter in Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against who have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers, you have ridiculed the Lord. And you have said, with many chariots, I've ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of the Lebanon. I've cut down its tallest cedars, the choices of its junipers. I've reached its remotest heights, the finest of its forests. I've dug wells in foreign lands. I've drunk the water there. And when the soles of my feet, I've dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard long ago I ordained it in the days of I planned it? Now I've brought it to pass. You have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. There people drained of power, dismayed, put to shame, they're like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like green sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are, and when you come and go, and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me, because your insolence has reached my ears, I'll put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth, and I'll make you return by the way you came. And this will be a sign for you, Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself. The second year what springs from that. The third year sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For Look, 32, I love this. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant. And out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city. He won't shoot an air here. He will not become before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And then the angel of the Lord, look, guys, right here. I, I, oh, time out. I know you're going, man, you just read a section I've never read before in my life. I understand, but I want you to see warrior God. All right, you ready? This is awesome. See, secret nab and there's a wicked king and there's Syrians and they think they're high and mighty. <laughs> look what happens here. I shouldn't laugh because it's really pitiful what happens. Verse 36. And then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were dead bodies. 185,000. 
wiped out by the Lord. You're saying, why do you read that? Because I need to be reminded of my God, how great he is, and that he's a God of wrath, and he's a God of vengeance. And vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And he's a God of mercy. And guys, I love hanging out on Mercy Hill. That's the fun place to preach and live. This message is hard, but what I'm afraid of, our generation has gotten so far. The Great Awakening, a guy named Jonathan Edwards preached a great message. You you need to write this down. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. It is powerful. It was revivalist preaching in that era, and people would repent, and they would come to faith, but there was some serious judgment that was going forth, and people would reject or they would respond to Christ. In the generation that I preach and live, we don't preach like that anymore. We get away from that. But you know, I believe this book from Genesis to Revelations. I believe with all my heart this is the word of the Lord God Almighty. And until I draw my last breath, I will give you God's word because this is all I have and it is eternal for the ages. Amen? And some of you are like, oh, preacher, I'm not mad. I'm just reading a section of scripture that's not like, that's a verse I want to hang on my wall. I dare you to put verse 36 on your screensaver in the morning. I thought that was funny. Anyway, I I don't think you're going to put verse 36 on your, it's like, man, man, God's wiping people out. God's powerful. So, here it is. God is jealous. Second point, God is judge. And that's what I've really been talking about, that God is the judge. Chapter 2 talks all about that. And we get delivered from the judgment seat of Christ in Christ. And, man, how beautiful that is. And the atrocities of the Assyrians for some thousand years, it it was just horrible. And then God raises up this prophet, Nahum, because he's like, I've had enough. Uh, And then I want you to look at, you've probably never seen this, but I've been studying this. Look there in chapter 2. And look down there at verse 3. Shields flash red in the sunlight. See the scarlet uniforms of, of the valiant trips, troops. Watch as a glittering chariot move into position with a forest of spears waving above them. The chariots race recklessly along the streets. They rush wildly through the squares. In other words, the chariots were painted red. And, and in that day, <coughs> it's pretty cool. They had figured out how to injure soldiers on chariots. So they would put these razors on the chariot wheels. And those wheels <coughs> would have these razor-sharp uh, things attached. And as they would get close to warriors, the, the razor would do what? It would rip your leg as you came by. And what would happen is, <coughs> so they didn't have a disadvantage, the chariots were already red, so you couldn't tell if people were bleeding or not. But, man, it was really a... It was a wicked, it was a, a, man, a pretty tough thing. I mean, they didn't have 357s or something, okay? <laughs> they were on these chairs and they were riding. And he talks about here how they were going against one another. And, and God, move on through there. He goes, the river gates have been torn open. You see, <clears throat> Assyria here, Nineveh says, we cannot be penetrated. We are strong. And either through a flood, somebody, or either a flood of God that he had raised the water table or somebody had penetrated the wall and they dammed up a section and more water came in, those walls, those 100-foot walls I told you about a couple weeks ago over in Jonah, they all came collapsing. All, all I know is this. Nothing can stand before God. God is above all. Today, one of the takeaways is God's supreme. God's just. God's judge. He's above all. 
So let's keep moving here. So uh, verse 6, there's spoils of war. See, the Syrians were rich because they took money. They took everybody else's loot. So then they go in and they, and they take all this stuff. Now let's move to chapter 3. <clears throat> then he goes, all right, now, in verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, I am your enemy, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 3, what sorrow awaits Nineveh? And now it's really coming to kind of a, a tough situation. And God would just go, I am jealous, I am judge, and I am just. And God begins to, to rule here. He, he has the ultimate say on his people. He, there's sounds of war as you read chapter 3. And I'm not going to read it all for you. But it's just a, it's a tough situation. The end of the adversary, the end of this wicked rule is coming to an end. Uh, Nineveh will be destroyed and Nineveh will be no more. Because God said, enough. And I just pray, God, please don't say that about our land. Because God, you are good. But God, as you're good, I can't abandon the truth of who you are. So God, I love you. God, I run to you. And so he goes through this whole section. And, and if we had a lot more time, I would just read it word for word for you. And, and then move down here in verse 11. And you, Nineveh, you stagger like a drunkard. You hide for fear of the attacking enemy. Now they're backing up. And all your fortresses will fall, and they will be devoured like the ripe figs that fall into the mouths of those who shake the trees. Now, you don't understand that. You read that, and you go, huh? Figs? Okay, I grew up with figs. My job as a little boy, my mom that got killed when I was nine years old, I still remember as a seven and eight-year-old, she'd go, Keith, I want you to go out and get figs. Now, I'm going to tell you something you don't know about me. I love fig newtons, but I despise figs. And I, I really despise fig preserves because that's all we had growing up. My mom would always make fig preserves. And she would go, Keith, I want you to go out and pick figs. Now, you that are maybe a little country or you've done something, if you've ever picked figs, they are incredibly sticky. And there's this white milk. Oh, it's gross. I can see it now. And I would go out and pick figs, and it'd be all over me. And I'd get this big pot for my mom, and I'd bring it in. And I'd go, oh, mom, and she'd make these fig preserves. And she would get so excited about that. And we ate them every day, therefore I detest them today. But here's what I learned. When figs get real ripe, you could literally go out, and you could hold a bucket under them, and you could shake the limb and what would happen all those figs would just fall in the pot and you're going i thought you were a city boy i was a city boy but we had a big fig tree how many of you knew about figs anybody know about figs some of you how many of you like figs yeah i didn't think so okay here we go all right so he tells them here they will be devoured and then he goes into 14 get ready for the siege store it for water go into the pits into the trample of clay pack in your moles make bricks to repair the walls but the fire will devour you the sword will cut you down verse 15 <coughs> the enemy will consume you like locusts devouring everything they see there will be no escape so you, you read this section and you deceive it man this is a day of grace for us but here is the day of judgment and it's coming because God's just and then move on down to verse 18 your shepherds are asleep, O Assyrian king. The priest, the shepherd went to sleep. That's my biggest fear. God, don't let me go to sleep on my watch. God, don't let the shepherds of the church of the living Christ go to sleep. And sometimes the shepherds have gone to sleep, so that's a real word of judgment for us that are preachers and leaders. He's powerful. He's great. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. Lord, I look to you. You're good. You're vengeful. But so I'm saying all this to you. Move on down, verse 19. There's no healing for your wound. Your injury is fatal, Nineveh. All who hear of your destructions will clap their hands for joy because you've been so wicked. Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from your continual cruelty, Nineveh? You Assyrians, 
God finally just says, judgment. And God brings judgment. And so God is jealous. He's a judge. He's just. I know you're going, well, wow, that, that's kind of crazy. Well, <coughs> Jeremy, if you and the team had come forward, I, I want you to see this with me. Basically, God's holy. And he hates sin. He's jealous for us. First John, I want to give you a couple of New Testament verses to walk away with today. First John chapter 2, verse 2. The Bible says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for the sins for the whole world. That's good news. Jesus, your blood shed atones for those that will put their trust in you. And you cover us. And Lord, we need that covering. John 3, 36. I love this simple gospel passage. Whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son of God will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. See, a lot of people never see that in the New Testament. They go, well, Jesus, I don't see wrath. Well, they're right there in the Gospel of John. He's going, if you reject my Son wrath will continue on you and yet and he goes hey but if you'll receive me if you'll get covered by me you'll be forgiven so there really is good news so i'm going i'm back to this thought christ will be our savior christ will be our judge you make the choice savior judge the book of nail an old prophet that came to prophesy against a wicked generation so there's application for you and me today that we probably have never seen or maybe never read again. I don't know. But Lord, I'm grateful for your mercy. But I'm grateful that I know that you're a God that you have to judge sin. That sermon I referred to that's probably one of the most famous sermons ever preached, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. <laughs> Google it. Run it off. Copy it. Read it. It's a hard one. But it's part of who God is. See, my job is to tell you the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of God's love. And one day, we will stand before a holy king. And the toughest verse I've ever read says, but Lord, Lord, I prophesied and I did all these things in your name. And he will go, depart from me. I never knew you. I read that passage and I go, God, thank you for the cross. Help my friends and all that I will preach to in my lifetime. Consider and make Christ their living hope. That's the hope of Jesus. Isn't that a great hope? So this morning, you leave out here this weekend. I'm praying that you're going, I'm secure. I'm with Christ. Man, that is awesome. And you might leave here today going, man, I don't know where I am. And you preach like that, man, that's scary. I'm not into scare tactics. I'm into truth proclamation. So today you've heard God's word from a little guy that you've probably never heard about. I've never heard anybody preach on Nahum. I don't know if I ever preach on him again. But today, it was God's word for God's people in 2015. So all week I've been going, God, I'll go with you. You are eternal. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. And Lord, I know this is a hard message for a celebration weekend. And we're grateful for America and for freedoms. But God, I pray that we could wrestle with the truth of your word. And we'd go, God, thank you for a little prophet named Nahum that could teach us about your wrath and your justice and your jealousy and your mercy.
And God, I pray we would run to you. God, you are so great. I love you so much, God. Overwhelm us in this room today by your grace. We want more of you. Draw us nearer to you today, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray for strength and joy to rise up in our souls. Because, Lord, I do think this weekend that you're the liberator. Liberate our souls for living for Christ. There is no greater joy. In the name of Christ, amen.